as a pastor, I have uh, the tremendous honor of standing uh, before that couple as they are exchanging their wedding vows and officiating that wedding. Uh, I tried to count up how many weddings that I've officiated, uh, and I couldn't do it. I lost count. Couldn't uh, think of how many there has been. Uh, there are a couple moments, though, in each of those ceremonies that I, I have to be honest. There's, there's some moments in ceremonies that I love a little bit more than other moments. You'd think <clears throat> that the pronouncement or the may, you may kiss your bride moment would be one of my favorite moments. But that's the moment that makes me the most nervous. Um, I'm nervous because it was in a wedding a long time ago that I officiated, and we got to the pronouncement part, to the pronouncement moment, the may I present to you the Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so moment, you know what I'm talking about? I got to that moment and I neglected to write their names in my notes. Now, why would I? I knew this couple. They were friends of mine, for crying out loud. Why would I need to remember their names? Well, it's a good idea, I found, that uh, even if you know them, to go ahead and write their names down in your notes because uh, when it got to that part, I went completely blank. And I had no idea what their names were. I didn't even know their first names at that point. And so I got to that point and I said, may I present to you, and I'm just praying, Lord, please open up my mind and let something come back to me and nothing. <laughs> Nothing at all. And, um, standing there, there was probably an awkward pause. It probably wasn't that long. It seemed like a half an hour to me. But, uh, and so I had to say, it's my honor to present to you the newest married couple in the entire world. <laughs> and you may kiss your bride. And everybody clapped, and they had no clue uh, except, except the bride's mother. She caught on. So uh, she was not real happy with me. So um, I've come to find out that, yes, um, if I ever officiate a wedding for you or some, one of your family members, you know that their names are in my notes. So that's not going to happen again. My favorite part, <clears throat> though, of, that, of a wedding ceremony is when I get to stand up here and I'm with the groom and the doors in the back of the church open. And the groom looks up and he sees his bride for the first time. And I, I look directly at her face and I, I see her smiling. And she feels beautiful and she's excited and she's nervous all at the same time. And then I look to her father's face and he is so proud and he is walking tall that day. And he's, he's straighter than he's been in a long time because he gets to walk his little girl down the aisle, and then I glance over at the groom's face. He knows that nobody else is looking at him. Everybody has their eyes turned, and they're looking at the bride at that moment, <clears throat> and I know that he is nervous too, and, but you can't really tell in that moment. All he sees in that moment is his beautiful Bride, You can see the love that's in his eyes. And, and even though he's standing next to his best friends, his probably stupid friends that he grew up with, 
right, <laughs> that caused the whole, all the problems in his life, all these guys, even though he's standing next to all of them, they don't matter because all he sees is his bride. His best friends have disappeared, and his bride in that moment is his entire life. Now, years from then, that groom and that bride may not look at each other with such affection as, as much anymore, but, and who can blame her? She's had to pick up his underwear and his socks off of the bathroom floor, right? Maybe that's just my marriage, but... Uh, <laughs> But as I was going over um, our scripture today, and I thought about Mary and Joseph, and I thought about what was it like for them many, many years ago. These are the earthly parents of our Savior, and they had quite a start to their relationship. I can only imagine how their relationship started. Now, we know from scripture that Joseph and Mary were betrothed. That's the fancy word that the Bible uses. They were betrothed. And it was kind of like engaged, but it was a little more than being engaged. So betrothal was an arrangement between Joseph and his family and Mary's family. Uh, perhaps even years in advance, which is a little creepy. When you think about it, because Mary at the time that she was betrothed to Joseph was probably only about 14 years old. But Joseph and Mary were married in the eyes of all the people that were around them. Even though they were betrothed, everybody treated them as a married <coughs> couple. Even though there had not been yet a marriage ceremony, even though the, wedding, the marriage had not been consummated yet, Joseph and his family would have agreed upon these terms of this marriage. A dowry would have been paid to Mary's family. And part of that dowry that <coughs> Joseph and his family paid, part of it was called the mahar. Now the mahar was uh, compensated Mary's family for losing a daughter and Joseph's family was gaining a daughter. Now don't get mad at your pastor this morning because marriage at the time was, was kind of treated the same way that somebody would buy and sell goods. And so <coughs> Mary's family had the right to be compensated for what they thought a productive member of their family was worth. The other part of the dowry was called the matan. Now, a matan would have been given by the groom. It would have been given by Joseph himself uh, to Mary and her family. And it was for her protection in case he turns out to be a flake. It turn, if he's one of those idiots that stand next to the groom or something like that. It, it was for her protection in case he decides to divorce her or if he would pass away. Now, at that time, uh, a legally binding contract would have been made between Joseph and Mary's family, not Mary. Now, I know it sounds awful romantic, doesn't it? <laughs> sounds awful romantic. It's not how we think about maybe this, this marriage between Joseph and, and Mary, these earthly parents of, of Jesus. But it does give us a tremendous amount of insight into Joseph and Mary when they find out 
that Mary is pregnant. And let's not get ahead of ourselves. I want to open up God's word. We're going to read their stories, read the stories of these two couples before we move on with this uh, story. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. We're going to go back a little bit to <coughs> excuse me, hear this story of Mary. And then uh, just keep your finger around there because right after this one, we're going to go to the first chapter of Matthew. And that's where we'll hear uh, Joseph's story. So Luke chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 26. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never die. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby, the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Let's go back a a chapter to the, um, uh, to Matthew, a couple, couple, uh, not chapters, a couple books to the book of Matthew. Uh, Look at Matthew chapter one. We're going to start at verse 18. And now we're going to read the story of Joseph. Matthew 1.18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him 
Jesus. In these two stories, there's a whole lot that we could go through. Uh, And honestly, (laughs) we could take an entire month uh, of sermons just to work our way through these two stories. But there are some things in here that I think need to sort it, we need to sort out because it it teaches us um, about Mary and Joseph. It teaches us something about the parents that God chose for his son. And I hope that it teaches us something about ourselves as well. Now remember that when Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, she's not just a girlfriend to him. She's not just this fiance to him uh, that he thinks at the time that she has cheated on him. This is legally his wife. He, He would have seen this as an act of betrayal by Mary. There has been a contract signed between their families. There has been a transaction that has occurred. And Joseph and Mary, in the the eyes of everybody in town, in whatever legal system at the time, they were legally married. And then if an engaged couple breaks things off today, well, it's heartbreaking and there's a lot of emotions that go through it, but, but... that couple may just have to get a refund from a DJ or, or something like that. Not back then. Um, if if an engaged couple breaks up now, there's a lot of emotional baggage there, but the, at least there, there's nothing legal that they have to sort out. Matthew, who is writing to a Jewish audience, uh, by the way, seeks to clarify this by saying that Joseph decided to break off the engagement quietly, which just means that he was going to divorce her quietly. Now, as unromantic so far as their relationship may sound to us that, you know, this transaction has been made and the families had an agreement together uh, maybe years before this time, as unromantic as that sounds to our modern ears, Dowries have been paid, contracts. Joseph and Mary were in a committed, deeply serious relationship. And it's, we can see here that he loved her deeply. And the news that she became pregnant was certainly hurtful to him. It also tells us something that I think is important for us to know about Joseph. This guy, who we only have on a few pages here in the New Testament, was just as chosen as Mary was. There's a reason that God, or that there's a reason that God chose Joseph to be the adoptive parent, the adoptive dad of his son. Now I know, in these past couple of weeks, I've blown up your nativity scene somewhat. Um, there was an innkeeper, but that we learned maybe that innkeeper might have even been a relative of Joseph's. There were shepherds there, uh, but they might have been a little bit more esteemed than tradition uh, allows them to be. And as we look at our nativity, there's something else that we need to know. There's a story behind this story. As we look upon these young parents this morning, I want you to remember this. Mary was almost executed. And Joseph chose to be shamed. 
it's important for us to remember that. Mary was almost executed in the story, but Joseph chose to be shamed. When the angel appears to Mary and he tells her that you will conceive and you will give birth to a son, she rightfully says, um, time out, Gabe. <laughs> I'm not sure how this is going to happen. I, I mean, I'm only 14, but I do know how somebody has a baby and I haven't been with a man yet. And, and then she is told, well, your pregnancy is a slightly different than everybody else's pregnancy. Your baby is actually going to be God. Makes it easier, doesn't it? But either way, she's pregnant, right? And he says, surprise, bye, right? <laughs> That's it. That's her story. When Mary heard that she was going to be pregnant, she she knew exactly what her future was going to look like in her town. She knew when she said, I am the Lord's servant, may everything you have said about me come true. She knew what she was up against. Perhaps when you have read the Christmas story, you might have, have marveled of, of how Mary could say those words. How in the world could she say yes to becoming the mother of God? But that's only part of the story because Mary also would have known that she was risking her very life to do this. Being pregnant in those days before marriage was a death sentence. Now we don't know if that could have happened in that day or not because capital punishment was taken over by the Romans. It was taken out of the hands of the Jews. So we're not exactly sure, but, but regardless, the shame that she would have felt by being pregnant, an unmarried girl was unimaginable for her to go through. Mary was from a little town. It was named Nazareth. It was a town that had a really bad reputation. First century Nazareth was was famous for one thing. It was famous for the sin that was inside of Nazareth. Nazareth was <coughs> located just about four miles from a Roman garrison where, where there was barracks there. There, there were uh, a bunch of Roman soldiers that were uh, headquartered just about four miles outside of Nazareth. And so <coughs> Nazareth was known as a town that when the boys in the army got a few days leave and they got some bonus pay, they would go to Nazareth. And there they would find cheap wine and there was a red light district there where the soldiers would go and women would be waiting for them. Now apply that to Mary's story. When she is supposedly pregnant by the Holy Spirit, at least that's what the town people say. Would anyone believe her? Would the townspeople believe the worst about her? At best, they thought she was pregnant by Joseph, who wasn't her full husband yet. At worst, they would have thought that she was one of the girls that went out to meet those soldiers. What would these townspeople think? What, what would her parents think about this news? What would Joseph think when she told him, will he divorce me? Her mind was probably on things a lot more serious than divorce. See, unwed pregnant girls were not treated well in their 
in her time. And according to Jewish law, it says this, if a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. So here's Mary's news that she was pregnant and it really could have ended up that way that she was drugged to the to the city gate and she was stoned to death by her peers. She would have been stoned to death by her very family. Her relatives would have picked up a stone that day and executed her on the spot. But what about Joseph? See, Mary was promised to to Joseph, but everybody in town knew that there had not been a wedding ceremony yet, and that meant that Mary shouldn't be pregnant. And so in their culture, Joseph had two choices. If a husband suspected that his wife was cheating before they're married, he could choose to divorce her publicly. And this meant that she would be brought into court, she would be tried for a crime, And if she was found guilty, the penalty for that crime is to be executed. But there was another option. The groom could decide to divorce her quietly. He could choose just to end the marriage, not bring formal charges against Mary, his betrothed wife. And remember in Matthew, he says that Joseph planned to divorce Mary quietly, which meant that Joseph decided to be merciful and thus preserve Mary's life and the baby that she was carrying. So he just decided that he's going to dissolve this marriage contract, to just end it, to get away, maybe find somebody else, pick somebody else to start over. But in doing that, think of what would have happened to Joseph. Mary's still pregnant. And if he chooses to publicly end the marriage, people are going to assume that Mary cheated on Joseph and thus all of the shame of that is going to fall on her. If he quietly ends the marriage, thus sparing her life and her baby, people would think that he was the one who got Mary pregnant and now he's abandoning her. I'm sure Joseph spent some restless nights trying to decide what action am I going to take here if he he had two choices to dissolve the marriage which would have ended up in Mary's death or he could stick close to Mary. And we know from scripture that he just decided to end the marriage and he was just going to walk away until the angel shows up to Joseph. And the Lord tells him not to be afraid. Don't be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Mary is going to have a son, and you are going to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So now what is Joseph going to do? Joseph was a righteous, godly man, and he thought he was doing the right thing by just quietly divorcing Mary. But now what are people going to think? Now, if he stays with Mary, they will surely assume that Joseph indeed is the father of this child and that Joseph was the one who got her pregnant. 
So by staring, staying with Mary, he's assuming he's taking all of the shame upon himself. This wasn't without danger either because there was a law that stated that if people thought that an engaged groom raped his fiancée, if somebody thought that was what would happen, then he would be executed. So by staying with Mary, Joseph had to be willing to take on the shame and the death penalty in order to spare Mary. Does that sound familiar to any of us? See, in Joseph, we get a glimpse of his son, Jesus. Jesus is a reflection not only of his heavenly father, but also of his adoptive father as well. In both Jesus and Joseph, we see what true love is. It's laying down your life for another. It's sacrifice. It's humility. And that's what Christmas is about. Jesus is God with us. Not a God who came to control us and dominate over us. Jesus came to love us, to die for us. And we did nothing on our own to deserve any of it. We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't earn our salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whomever believes in him shall not die but have eternal life. See, God was willing to leave perfection in heaven for us. God was willing to suffer for us. God was willing to be humbled for us. God was willing to be born to grow up. God went through middle school for us. Awkward, right? We matter so much to God that he was willing to die in your place. Shouldn't the lesson of Joseph tell us that we should live for others' sake as well? Christmas doesn't just teach us about how much Jesus loves us, but it should also serve as a reminder of how we should love one another. What would Christmas look like? What would the Christmas time look like if we all took Joseph's example and sacrificed for others the way that Mary, the way that Jesus sacrificed for us, the way that Joseph took upon everything upon himself? What would our Christmas look like if we laid down our lives for one another? What would Christmas look like? if we truly loved one another. Our uh, orchestra and band and choir are going to close us out in one more song, and then I'll come up with our prayer.
tried, we could not save ourselves. But God, in his infinite wisdom, provided a way, a way not mapped out by human hands, but divinely directed to change the course of history. Through his son, Jesus, salvation made its way from the thrones of heaven to the throes of humanity, arriving not in splendor, but in simplicity as a baby. This was not entirely what was expected, but it's exactly what was needed. has come to the lost, sight for the blind, healing for the sick, death reversed, and sin defeated for good. So here and now at Christmas, we stand in awe and worship, not to simply sing happy songs or exchange humble gifts, but to remember why Jesus was born. For in his birth, he set course to the cross, and that cross cast an eternal light on the shadows of this world light that makes the darkness flee, the enemy retreat, and death itself reverse. We worship today because salvation is ours through Christ Jesus, the baby, born to die, born to save the world, and overcome the grave.
Christmas is not just about hearing the good news of the gospel, but about experiencing the gospel. What would happen this Christmas if we did more than throw a party on Christmas morning by giving too much to people who already have too much? Now, I'm not trying to ruin your Christmas morning with one another. Please continue to celebrate with your family. But I do want to challenge you to think beyond your living room. I want you to think beyond what's underneath that Christmas tree. And I don't want this sermon to sound like a sales pitch. It it, it isn't, but it just so happens that there are a couple ways that are coming up this Christmas that we can be directly involved with what God is doing through our church. First one I've mentioned already is that gift card drive. These cards will be held here at church. We'll have them in the office and Whenever we get a call from somebody in our community that needs a little bit of extra, we'll be able to provide that. If families need a little bit extra help with groceries or household supplies, we will have the means to help them out. But I also want you to remember about what's going on across the river. I want you to remember about Southside Community Center. And as you know, Pastor Irene and her crew at uh, SCC work tirelessly to change the south side of Peoria one person at a time. And they are doing amazing, amazing work. But it's not cheap. Yep. Um, maybe you know at, on the south side that every summer, Southside Community Center has a leadership academy where the area kids are invited in, where they are invested in, where they learn leadership lessons. And the purpose of that is so that these kids grow up and then they are going to be able to care for and to lead their very own community. This week, this week I heard the story of one of our leadership academy kids that went on a college visit to Olivet. And he loved it. He loved it. Way to go, Anthony. Way to go. This (laughs) this week, I also learned that one of our Southside moms, one of those moms that have grown up and been been mentored by Pastor Irene and the group there, one of these moms graduated from college this past week. Praise the Lord. So congratulations, Arena. We're proud of you. And folks, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is why we do what we do there, right? But to make this happen, they need to keep lights on. They need to plow the snow this Christmas. They need to clean the building. There's a QR code in your bulletin. If you would like to give to Southside, they really could use your help. Perhaps you and your family could bless Pastor Irene and the families on the south side by donating, by giving beyond our family, by giving beyond our circle. There are so many ways to be sacrificial besides through our checkbook. The point here is is simple. Follow the sacrificial example of Mary, of Joseph, and Jesus this Christmas. Be a blessing for someone else. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message of Joseph and Mary. And Lord, I I still, it just amazes me that Mary can say, may it be so. 
May everything that you are saying happen to me, knowing full well that she could be executed for what that angel told her. Wow. Joseph, by marrying Mary, could have been executed by the law if they thought that he was the one that was responsible for her pregnancy. Both of them risked their life. Both of them laid aside their life. And both of them are examples of their son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you on this Christmas that you laid aside your life. That you came from heaven to earth to be born. To go through everything that we go through. And then, Lord, to die. Pay the price for us. You laid aside your life. But Lord, we also thank you that you rose again and are alive today. We get to celebrate a living Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for your example. May we follow your example to lay aside our lives for the benefit of others. May we be a blessing to other people on this Christmas. Lord, challenge us. Help us to look beyond our Christmas trees. Look to those that need help. Look to those that, that need a hand up. Lord, use PFN. Use Southside. Use Summit for the advancement of your kingdom here on earth. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. PFN, be a blessing. Amen. You're dismissed.